What is up, Bitcoiners? I just sat down with Ruben Waterman, the CEO and co-founder and one-man band behind Get Bitter, the original DCA app in Europe. Uh, for this podcast, we actually wanted to talk about Ruben's journey of starting Get Bitter, growing to about 4,000 users in a few months, and then having to shut the business down because of onerous regulations from the Dutch Central Bank and AMLD5, which is uh, a more blanket uh, compliance uh, regulation from the EU. Um, he actually had to shut down and he just reopened after six or you know eight or seven months of you know trying to figure it out. Um, and then we go after telling his story, we talk about Europe and Bitcoin in general, and we kind of dive into you know what Europeans are doing, how Europeans are waking up to, uh, the money printing, uh, why Europeans are, for the most part, compliant with, you know, everything that the EU and their big governments are telling them, uh, and talk about, you know, how Bitcoin kind of gives Ruben hope. This is a great episode. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. But before we do, let's talk about Bitcoin 2021 and MoonPay. Uh, Bitcoin 2021 is the biggest event of all of Bitcoin ever. Uh, and Ruben's going to be there. Every you know, almost everyone I've interviewed on this podcast is going to be there. The entire Bitcoin community is coming together in Miami, June third, fourth, and fifth, to celebrate BTC. And you know, right now prices are down. Uh, recording this uh, after this massive dump here at the end of May, but um, hopefully by the time you're listening to this, prices are back up, and we are celebrating in the maximum heat of the summer in Miami. Uh, and if you still haven't gotten a ticket yet and you're listening to this and you think you might be able to, it's probably already sold out, but you can save $400 off of your ticket when you pay with Bitcoin. And you can use our sponsor, MoonPay, in order to use Fiat, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Samsung Pay, your credit card, debit card, in order to send us a Bitcoin transaction with no fee. So you can capture that $400 discount. We get paid in sats because that's our preferred payment method. Uh, and you can spend your fiat without having to touch your Bitcoin stack. It's a complete win-win. MoonPay is an awesome solution that is built into over 300 wallets and works in over 160 countries with their fiat. And effectively, they make it so that you can buy Bitcoin with fiat, with your credit card, debit card, Apple Pay, all that stuff, without going through a ton of like KYC submitting paperwork. Uh, and then on the back end, um, you know, they're going to send you SAS to whatever wallet you want. Uh, so I, I love how they're built into non-custodial wallets, enabling users to get access to Bitcoin uh, in an easy and, uh, you know, frictionless way and completely avoid a custodian and uh, and exchanges in general. So big fan of MoonPay, obviously a huge fan of Bitcoin 2021. I'll be there. I'll be uh, moderating a panel and uh, I'll be partying with all the plebs on the street. So See you in Miami and enjoy this interview with Ruben Waterman. Peace. Bitcoiners, I am sitting across the screen from Ruben Waterman, the uh, creator of Get Bitter. Uh, Ruben has been through quite a roller coaster in terms of, you know, being able to run his amazing Bitcoin business, but he is on the Bitcoin Magazine show to talk about getting bitter back online and helping Europeans Ooh. stack sats. Um, Ruben, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. So I just want to talk about your journey. I mean, maybe we can start off with a little introduction about yourself and, you know, getting into Bitcoin and starting to get bitter. And then maybe you can tell the story of it getting, 
you know, kind of, uh, you know, you being having to stop the business, uh, I think in like early 2020, and then uh, the journey to getting back online? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been interested in Bitcoin for quite some time. Um, probably people have heard this story before, but uh, back in 2013, um, when I was still in uni, uh, the one of the largest banks in Holland, they asked a bunch of students like, hey, come check out this new Bitcoin thing, like see if we can somehow implement it into our services. So across, I don't know, like maybe two, three months, we were there every Friday uh, sitting together. Um, and yeah, we were discovering Bitcoin really because before I had heard of it uh, in 2011 from one of my roommates when I was studying in Boston, but I, I didn't pay attention. I was like, oh yeah, sure. Like this new digital gold. Um, but then in 2013, I, I really dug into it and, and took it serious and, and yeah, went from there. Uh, then after I finished like normal uni, I did my um, master's in digital currency, which was like a new thing at the time. It was like at the University of uh, Nicosia in Cyprus. And as I was doing it, as I was doing the masters in one of the more like business oriented courses, which like it didn't have that much to do with Bitcoin, but you had to think of a financial service that existed in traditional finance, but did not yet for Bitcoin. Um, so I thought of Acorns in the US, like. Maybe some of your listeners are familiar. It's like this really easy app to invest in in stocks and bonds and out of real estate. I don't even know what exactly. Pretty much Acorns is you spend money on your credit card or debit card, whatever the change is, it rounds it up and then puts it into a brokerage account. Yeah. And also on top of that, you can like make it really easy to uh, dollar cost average into ETFs, stocks, whatever you want. Um, so that's at the time, like then, that was kind of missing for Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, I worked this out a bit, like made one of these you know, business plans in uni. They're not very good, but hey, it's a starting point. And um, I think then we're like maybe in 2017, was building for about a year together with a company in uh, Romania for like the software development, because at the time I didn't know anything about software development. And then we, we launched in 2018. We had some good fun and we were getting more and more customers uh, all throughout Europe, basically. And then in 2020, I was like preparing for the whole registration with the Dutch Central Bank. And it was it was just a nightmare. You could see that, you know, they just took some regulations that apply to massive banks and they were like, OK, now you Bitcoin companies have to comply with this, too. And I started the application and I as I was going through the paperwork, it was just becoming more and more obvious that as, you know, just a, a small entrepreneur doing this kind of service by yourself, that's not the kind of businesses that they want. Like they make you have a compliance officer. Well, if you're just by yourself, it's kind of hard to put compliance onto yourself. So there was all these obstacles. And I was like, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm doing this for fun. Like I want to contribute to the Bitcoin ecosystem. And I'm doing this for fun. Uh, and this way, it's it's we, it's just not fun anymore. Yeah. So that was the, the journey up until May 2020, almost a year ago. So prior to kind of like the new Dutch regulations, which were very um, onerous, like 
how much traction had get bitter gotten like i mean you you were the first easy simple dca service without like necessarily like a full app and all that stuff you know uh, we saw swan bitcoin and several others kind of copy the model in the us but just talk about like you as a one man show building get bitter you know up until that point like how are things going um yeah we got up until just over 4000 uh customers by the end uh doing little bit more than 1 million euros in volume per month so that those were good so i mean again as a one-man shop you're an entrepreneur building on bitcoin and then smash here comes these you know aml d5 uh regulations being interpreted in a very kind of heavy-handed way by the dutch courts and central bank right they're the ones who kind of really uh laid yeah. down the, the the actual uh laws right yeah, it's funny what they did because the initial process was kind of like, you know, copy paste the EU regulations, put it into Dutch and like, okay, this is what we'll go with. And then as soon as like the Dutch Central Bank was appointed, there was like all these amendments coming one after the other. And even it, after it was finalized as law, um, they still added stuff. So for example, uh, like one of the other Dutch brokers called Bitonic, they were very pissed about this because there is no mentioning of any wallet verification like the, the stuff that you need to do with signing a um, signing a message from an address anywhere in these aml d5 regulations or in the dutch law but it's just something that the dutch central bank added last minute like yeah you you have to do this um or actually in, in holland it's kind of funny because they made it in such a way that if you make a screenshot of the wallet that's also proof that you own the wallet which i mean makes no sense pretty weak yeah um okay so did 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 Bitonic actually have to implement that because I, I remember yeah. they were trying to fight back yeah they're now they took the dutch central bank to court and i'm and i'm not sure if there is already a verdict or if that still has to come i'm not sure but they did take them to court do you see like as bitcoin continues to appreciate and it's kind of funny to say that on a day like today <laughs> dumped 20 percent this morning but um you know we're assuming bitcoin is going to continue to appreciate do you see like as bitcoin continues to appreciate that companies like bitonic are going to have more and more um ability to stand up to regulators in court and actually fight kind of like these let's just call it overreaching uh and stifling regulations i'm not sure like the the process at the Dutch Central Bank at first seemed kind of open, like they were hosting these information sessions and like, yeah, we want to, you know, talk with the market or see what the industry thinks. But I've been to those discussions and I was like, well, I don't know. It just seems like they, they don't get it. And it's kind of hard to convince people that don't get it and that, you know, they, they associate uh, or they see bitcoin just as like some other cryptocurrency and they just like for them it's all the same like bitcoin ethereum doge it doesn't matter like it's all funny internet money and uh, we're gonna try our best to make it as difficult as possible to to do anything in this industry that's that kind of seems their mindset yeah well uh it sounds like they want the dutch people to have fun staying poor yeah um okay well so let's talk about so you had to close the doors because of owner's regulations. What happened next? 
So for a few months, I was like doing completely different stuff. I was, uh, I was really into building stuff and using my hands. So I built a sauna in my parents' backyard. It was a great way to take my mind off stuff, like anything related to Bitcoin. And just, I don't know, for three, four months, I was working on this project. Kind of came to senses. Like I was, at the beginning, I was super pissed. Like, and, and also actually emotional. Like on the day that I sent that email to all my customers, I actually cried because I was like, this is so unfair. Like somebody else, I was having a good business and then just somebody else because they have some funny regulations, they, it's gone now. Um, but then as it all calmed down over the summer, I was, I was talking to uh, some people and they were like, well, you know, like in Switzerland, it, it's still doable to have this kind of thing like, an easy service to for people to buy uh, small amounts of Bitcoin without having like an extensive KYC process. Because that was all, always the, the my thought, like if people, like if they first come into the Bitcoin world and the first thing they need to do is like upload a passport and utility bill and I don't know what, then it's not very accessible. Like we need to have easy on-ramps at least for the small amounts like if you i understand that if you are going to pour in like tens of thousands of euros then yeah maybe as a as a as a bitcoin company you need to do kyc because you want to know who you're dealing with but like for these small amounts it's just nah so um we got together we um eventually it's, it's a swiss friend of mine and he was like well let me help you he's a lawyer and he is now taking care of all the legal stuff of bitter in switzerland and I'm just doing like the business uh, side of it. And in all the time that uh, Bitter was not running, I used that time to teach myself to write some code. So now I can actually maintain the code of Bitter myself instead of being relying on, on third parties, which I mean, it was a, actually like a, a really good way to spend my time. Awesome. So um, there's an opportunity to move to Switzerland. You had a friend who uh, kind of gave you support and, you know, let's call it in that nine months, you learned to code. You took Pierre Richard's advice. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm very happy about it. Like it, it always felt a bit frustrating, even though the, the development company I was working with, they're great guys and I would still recommend them. It just, it's, it sucks to be relying on some, somebody else's time. Uh, when you have like an idea, like, oh, I want to make something like, and now I can just like edit myself. Good feeling. So uh, like, tell me about like the sweet spot of Bitter today. So you relaunched, uh, I guess, let's talk about the, the relaunch first, and then we can kind of talk about uh, use cases, sweet spot, who should be using Bitter, all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. So um, we launched about two weeks ago now. Um, it actually took from November until two weeks ago to get this uh, Swiss license, although it's not technically a license, it's only a registration, but without it, you cannot um, operate in the cryptocurrency industry. So I think it's a license. Uh, took forever to get it, but I mean, it's, it's I'm glad, I'm happy that we got it and that it's a like streamed, uh, uh, streamlined process to, uh, to apply there. It's nothing like the Dutch Central Bank. Um, so yeah, we, we just announced it, uh, on Twitter and immediately like hundreds of people signed up again and, uh, we're getting like the, it's not like the 1 million per month yet, but we're getting decent volume again. 
So in terms of like you, you mentioned some of the features, like you want to allow people to dollar cost average small amounts into Bitcoin with minimal to no KYC. Can you kind of just talk about the actual, like I'm in Europe, I want to start stacking with Bitter. Like what's the workflow look like and you know, what kind of information is entailed? Sure. What are the buy limits? Yes. So you go to the Bitter website, you put your email address, you confirm it, like, you know, one of those confirm emails. Then uh, you put your bank account number that you're going to be sending the Bitcoin, uh, your euros from, sorry. Um, then you put in a Bitcoin address. And here's the tricky part, because in Switzerland, there are already those uh, regulations that you have to sign a message with your Bitcoin wallet in order to prove that you own that Bitcoin address. Um, but after that, it's done. So once you set up, once you created that order, basically, you get banking details uh, from us with a, like a unique code that, that is just for you. And then every time you send money um, to our bank account with this bidder code in the description field of the payment, will take that money, convert it into Bitcoin and pay it out to the address that you provided. Awesome. Uh, and then you don't actually even have to like upload a passport, anything like that. You just no. connect your bank account. You're assuming the bank account's already KYC and then you have like the user must verify their that they own the wallet. Yes, exactly. And then the transaction limit, it's um, 900 euros per four, well, for 48 hours so you can do one transaction of 900 euros uh wait one day and then do another 900 euro transaction if you want to stack heavily gotcha so uh every two days you can you can purchase 900 euros without yeah. going through any increased kyc is is better yeah. just used for dollar cost averaging is it like for example if i wanted just to smash by do i send a wire to you like what does that look like yeah, it works. So like our bank, it has instant SEPA, which means that during, uh, well, no, in theory, transactions should happen 24-7. But in our case, we can only read our bank account during business hours. So during business hours, if you send an instant SEPA payment, then we're going to process the money within 30 minutes. So if you want to like smash by up until 900 euros, you can do that. Um, and then... Is there dollar cost averaging built in or is it a manual process where you send SEPA payments every time you want to buy? Um, no, you can actually make your bank do that. So like every European bank has a feature to place a standing order. Uh, so then you can tell your bank like, oh, actually I do this transfer like every few days or every week or whatever you want to think of. Gotcha. So your bank does the DCA bidder is almost exactly. like this, like dumb conversion layer where it just hits your yes. bank account you buy bitcoin send it back that's it it's that simple that's awesome are there any ambitions to making uh like, like a, a customer facing product or anything like that beyond uh just kind of the infrastructure or you mean like an app or something like yeah that? sure app with an interface and all that kind of stuff uh for now no like i, I just like to keep it simple like also by like some people have asked like oh i want to change my uh bitcoin address or something like this and then i'm thinking like well you know on other platforms you uh put in your email address and you log in or something to do that on bitter you just create a new order like it's it's just three steps like it's you would have to verify the bitcoin address anyways again if you wanted to change it so 
I don't really see the advantage of having a customer portal. And then from a security perspective, I'm just like, well, the less that is exposed on the internet, the better. Like there is just uh, like the, the backend system of like placing the orders and doing the payouts. That's all like. All right. Um, okay. So I want to talk a, a little bit about like, let, let's stop talking about you know, your experience getting better back on, uh, what's happening now to like, what, what, like, what's your, what's your take on what's happening in Europe with Bitcoin adoption? Like what's your, I'm very curious, like, you know, you've kind of gone through these troubles. Um, obviously European regulators are actively trying to launch CBDC. They're actively, uh, you know, applying more regulation here. Like, Bitcoin, Europe, like what's the status right now? It's hard to tell. Um, I just think that like I'm here in Lisbon and based in a co-working space that like most people here do something with crypto. And we started our meetups again two weeks ago. And they're just like a lot more busy than the last year, last two years even. So I'm, I have a feeling that like the interest is, is picking up again. And some topics that I do hear now, which never came up before is like the money printing. Like all of a sudden now with COVID, it's like, well, it's so weird. Like, you know, we don't have to work and we're just getting free money. Like this is, this is strange. And like, I, I have a feeling that this COVID, like the free COVID money, it's kind of accelerating people realizing that, you know, their money is not so, I mean, cannot be taken for granted. And maybe it doesn't lose value yet, but I do think that it will make people realize it sooner because of COVID money. Um, so I, I would think that that brings more people to Bitcoin if they start then to realize like, oh wait, there's this money that is actually scarce and nobody can just print more of it. Yeah, um, I'm curious, like money printing in the US as a narrative has definitely picked up as well. And also price increases have really started to become very obvious. Um, gas in particular, something I've noticed is like it's an entire dollar more expensive than all the places that were already more expensive than the rest of the country in San Francisco uh, a few weeks ago. So it's pretty obvious to kind of see that also like the CPI numbers and stuff like that, that are like the official inflation numbers are definitely a lot higher than uh, a lot of economists had been predicting, even though Bitcoiners were kind of saying like money printing is gonna destroy all this stuff. Uh, yeah. Do you like, from a, a regulator perspective, like it looks like Switzerland is kind of like a, a hub. Um, I know that, um, you know, Portugal and Lisbon have favorable tax uh, situation for Bitcoin, Bitcoiners and, and uh, you know, capital gains and that kind of stuff. Like, what does the continent look like? What does Europe look like in terms of like acceptance, openness, easy, ease to do business, that kind of thing? Mm, ease to do business has become a lot harder since AMLD5. Like if you wanted to try something like with the, the fiat Bitcoin uh, exchange kind of industry, like you could, you could start small um, back in 20, well, before 2020. But now just having like 
the cost of 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 getting regulated and also the ongoing fees it makes it impossible to try out something like you have to get a lot of capital um in order to be able to even get started so like bootstrapping a bitcoin business i don't it seems very hard and and to me that's annoying because like usually it's the startups that you know they they bring an industry forward and they they innovate but it do seems like this... no go ahead uh, do you think oh. that this is uh, a sim like you know amld5 making life very difficult for startups in the crypto space is this kind of like a symptom of a bigger problem that has persisted in europe around being an entrepreneur in general yeah most definitely like all the um but it's, it's i guess it's a bit the same in, in the us where like you might have some like local local regulations then you have some at the state level and oh yeah there's also the federal level and so we're now getting more and more of that like yeah you have you used to have your national regulations that you need to abide by and and now it's just the eu that's slowly getting more and more into our daily lives by coming up with all sorts of regulations how we are supposed to do business and and they're really trying to make it eu-wide everything which is it's a kind of like modern thing and i think it started like 10 years ago and they're just on their way to i mean practically being involved with everything that you do on a daily basis i mean isn't that the ultimate end game of fiat is that politics and government and uh top-down decision making infiltrates every aspect of your life yeah absolutely so i mean is are Europeans going to push back? Like, are they just going to roll over and take it? Like, what are you optimistic? I'm just kind of curious based on, you know, what you're seeing as an entrepreneur. Uh, is, is there light at the end of the tunnel in Europe or uh, is ultimately the next step finding a different jurisdiction? I don't know. I was at a, a barbecue with, uh, with some Bitcoiners last weekend. And one of the guys was saying there, like, it's kind of scary. Like, if you walk around in Portugal, or at least in Lisbon, um, everyone is wearing a mask. And, like, obviously, that's, I mean, they have every right to wear one. Like, that's fine. But it's kind of strange to be wearing one outside all the time. And what's kind of then more scary is that even, like, the little kids, they're wearing a mask. And he was saying he was a bit older than I am. And he was saying, like, yeah, when we were kids, like, whenever somebody told us what we're not supposed to do or what we're supposed to do, we would do the opposite. And so it's kind of scary that like even now our little kids are complying with what the government says. And I don't think that necessarily portrays a nice image for the future. Um, yeah. Yeah. So over compliance, I, I'm in the Bay Area, you know, uh, the Brit, the Bay, the the Golden Gate Bridge and the, the big bridge in Lisbon uh, were made by the same architect and look very similar. And yes, also people are very, very much mask forward. It wasn't until last week that the CDC said it's safe to not wear a mask outside. And you still see about 50 to 60 percent <laughs> of people uh, wearing a mask outside. Um, you know, I'm not a health expert or anything like that, but it is very obvious to see the strong compliance culture. Uh, especially in uh, the Bay Area and in California in general. Yeah, and it seems just like that. I mean, I'm I don't re read any like 
mainstream news, but it doesn't seem like people are really revolting against whatever new rules people like governments come up with. Because with COVID, it's kind of like for to me, it has become very obvious. Like, oh, they'll try to, you know, like they'll make a rule for everything that you do in your life, and and it, I don't see a lot of like revolt against that, which is scary to me. No, yeah, and. It's it's almost like it's a stigma to if you speak out, then you're this evil person who you know doesn't care about the greater good and all this kind of stuff. So oh, it's like yeah, this yeah. villainization that is troubling because like you don't want to be in a position where no one can speak out. That's like what Nazi Germany was like, right? That's what um that's what fascist Italy was like, and it it wasn't a happy place. Yeah, no, it's really scary, and and with the EU putting their tangles into more and more of our daily lives, I think, I, I don't really see how we're gonna like push back other than, you know, eventually defund them. And like, if everyone just has Bitcoin, then, you know, they're no longer relevant because, well, they cannot take our money. Uh, if they cannot take their money, they cannot run. Yeah, and yeah, if they can't, they can't print money to fund themselves, then, then they can't run either. Um, I'm curious if you have any thoughts about the European uh, digital or the digital euro uh, that Christine Lagarde likes to talk about a lot. Personally, I'm bearish on them ever shipping. I'm bearish on any major central bank currency ever shipping, but I'm curious uh, what you're seeing in Europe. I, I don't follow it too much, honestly, but I don't, I honestly, I don't even see the difference that much between like the euro that we have today. Like, okay, probably it will. Like, it's not really something that Bitcoiners should worry about, but probably more like commercial banks should worry about it because it's the central bank digital currencies. It kind of replaces them. If you can have like a, a bank account or however, wallet, whatever you want to call it with the central bank directly, then what's the use of a, of a commercial bank? So I'm, I'm, it doesn't affect me too much too. Yeah. Uh, do you see, like, what's commercial bank uh, adoption of Bitcoin like in Europe? Because, I mean, in, at least in the U.S., just earlier today, Wells Fargo announced that they're going to offer, you know, actively traded crypto products to their users. Um, you know, I put out a meme where CD, CBDCs, uh, it was like uh, Bart from The Simpsons uh, smashing Homer over the head with a chair, and the, it said CBDCs to uh, commercial banks. And then on the other side, it had homer with a bandage on his head commercial bank smashing bar over the head with adopting bitcoin so i i i i do agree that cbdc's are a direct competitor to commercial banks um and that you know commercial banks have the option to adopt bitcoin crypto yeah that would be nice i so far i've only seen um like this this one bank in germany that seems to be kind of like um moving forward like doing crypto stuff um but it also seems to be run by like somebody who's really into shit coins but i think the idea is cool i think what he did was like he was into crypto and then he was just looking for any bank that was like probably going on the verge of bankruptcy and he bought the bank um but in terms of mainstream banks publicly coming out here in Europe with like, oh, we have crypto services or whatnot, it's not really there, except for Switzerland, which now has two uh, commercial banks. They're both new, so it's not like the the old uh, like known brands like Credit Suisse or UBS. It's it's Seba and Signum. Um, 
but then again like they're like this like older website is like full of, of of crypto stuff and then we approached them like hey we're a bitcoin company do you want to like bank us and they're like no no too risky so it's i don't know like they, their target seems to be like more like high net worth individuals that they want to bank and then offer services like bitter does but then at large scale um to those rich people um, yeah, well, I mean, again, that's another symptom of fiat, right? Where it's the the person that is credit worthy, the person that is worthy of giving financial services to gets narrower and narrower and narrower to high net worth individuals who are very credit worthy and who can pay enormous amounts for actively managed crypto BS, right? Um, yeah. There's no incentive to take risk on uh, a decent cash flowing business or a decent even even a, uh, an individual who has nothing to do with Bitcoin, who just wants to take out a loan, like there's no upside for the bank there. Like effectively yeah. lowering interest rates to nothing, it kind of destroys the market that is there for money. Yeah. Um, I guess want to just kind of wrap it up with you know, you know, are does Bitcoin make you optimistic again? Like, do you see yourself leaving Europe in the long term to keep Bitcoining? Like. Where's your kind of head at in the long term here? It's my only hope, really. Like, I kind of already gave up on the whole, like, mainstream system and, like, the whole fiat system. I'm just like, well, this cannot be fixed anymore, so we better spend our time on building a new system. And it's probably going to be in parallel for a while. Um, but, yeah, to me, I'm just, like trying to contribute to making Bitcoin more successful. And, and that's all I really care about. And it also is, it, it's the, actually the only thing that gives me energy. And like, um, I don't know, I, I could not see myself in like working in some corporate environment, like kind of wasting my time. And I'm, I'm just like, uh, we need to make Bitcoin work. And that's our duty. All right, last question is like, what about Bitcoin gives you so much hope, right? And I feel like maybe that uh, seems like an obvious question, but um, I'm kind of curious, you personally, like when you say Bitcoin is hope, like what what personally, uh, what's the light at the end of the tunnel for you there with Bitcoin? People just like making more conscious and more well-informed decisions about money, like just it's this this simple mean of like fix the money fix the world it's it's so obvious to me but apparently not to everyone around us um so yeah i, I really think that if you have to think carefully like, do i really want to spend this money on something new or something tangible or whatever um it's just gonna make people live better lives Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, I, I agree. Fix the money, fix the world. Uh, I'm not surprised that people in a fiat mindset, aka everyone, doesn't see Bitcoin because it's a completely opposing operating system for, you know, looking around you than, than you know, the, the, the system that most people operate under, which is the euro and the dollar. Um, so I, I get why you know, it's not intuitive to the average person, but uh, I do hope that over time, more and more of the population is going to bridge over to a Bitcoin mentality and that changes everything. 
Um, Ruben, it was great. Absolutely a pleasure getting you on the podcast. Uh, I guess I want to give you an opportunity to give a last word to our audience and tell people where they can learn more about you and there. All right. So I'm on Twitter. My handle is watermaniac. And if you live in Europe uh, then and you want a DCA, then just go to getbitter.com, sign up and start sec- stacking tomorrow. All right. You love to hear it. All right, Ruben, thanks again for coming on the show and giving us your time and congratulations on getting the business back on the back on its feet. Thanks for having me. All right, cheers. Bye. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.